Getting sick is no joke. Your nose gets stuffy. Perhaps you get a sore throat. Maybe you feel so bad you have to stay in bed for days. But what happens when coral gets sick? Escalating temperatures and climate change are terms that are just part of a scientist's vocabulary these days. But what does it mean for disease? Welcome, welcome, welcome to Boiling Point. Today, we've got a full house in the studio. We actually have more people than we do have microphones today. That is how full our house is. So you have myself, Anastasia. You have Ina. Hello. And we have Liz, who will actually be tag teaming at some point uh, later today. But Liz, why don't you say hello? Hello. Yeah. So now uh, uh, Liz and I will be tag teaming the uh, microphone just a little bit later. And we have our very special guest, Samantha Burke. Samantha is a marine scientist who studies coral health and the impacts of climate change on coral disease. She also happens to be a Boiling Point host. Welcome to Boiling Point, Sammy. Hi. Feels very weird to be on the other side of the table. (laughs) Now you know what it feels like for our guests to be interrogated. We actually have like a whole lamp and spotlight on you. Yeah, Yeah. it's it's very intense in here. Yeah, actually it isn't. Please, guests, come on Boiling Point. We love to have you. (laughs) So, Sammy, do you consider yourself a marine biologist, a marine ecologist, or specifically a coral scientist? Um, So technically, my background is in marine biology, but um, because of the nature of my current work, I would say maybe slightly leaning more towards marine ecologist. Okay. But I mean, marine scientist works just fine. Thanks. General. Yeah. So, okay. Studying climate change can be quite a sad topic, right? Like, I know a few scientists who study things to do with climate change. And, well, frankly, it's devastating, right? Yeah. Um, because it's it's moving at such a fast pace, temperatures are rising, coral are dying, basically, right? What got you into marine science? Like, was it this urge to save the planet? Or was it the beauty of the ocean that, you, you know, that kind of drove you to it? Yeah, it was probably a mixture of both, honestly. Um, I started out just as, you know, a small child being interested in the ocean. I grew up in New York and it was, you know, not the best beaches, but mm. make do. And uh, I decided when I was, I think like year four in school, decided to do a, a project on sea turtles and heard how uh, humans were impacting sea turtles and actually had caused them to become endangered. Mm-hmm. And I leapt at this and really latched on to this idea of humans impacting the oceans. Mm -hmm. And since then, just really wanted to be a marine scientist and figure out how we can protect and preserve uh, this amazing ecosystem that actually has so much impact on your day-to-day life than you realize. Mm -hmm. So in year four, that's where you kind of got into this marine science. And then did you do anything in high school? Yeah, so I did take a couple of um, science courses over the summer, um, going to different field stations. So I did some work off of um, Cape Cod, where like Jaws was filmed. Um, Ah, So did some work over there. Were you a background character? Uh, Yeah, definitely. I was was alive when that movie was filmed. Oh, yeah. (laughs) You were the shark. (laughs) And um, so did that, um, did a couple of uh, trips out off the coast of Maine. So lots of East mm. Coast work um, mm. in America. And then uh, when I went to university is when I specialized in uh, marine biology as a as a degree. Mm-hmm. And what did you do? 
So uh, basically, you have the same degree as a regular biological sciences major, but you just take marine themed versions of certain classes. So mm-hmm. I took uh, dynamics in marine ecosystems instead of I don't I don't know what dynamics the, in terrestrial ecosystems. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what the other people took, but um, and then I was really uh, grateful to have this opportunity to go um, to Hawaii and uh, the like the west coast of America to Mm -hmm. study the ecosystems on that side of the coast Mm -hmm. for one semester Mm -hmm. and was able to finally see coral reefs in person for the first time in my life and and that was in Hawaii that was in Hawaii oh wow so do you have coral reefs uh, around the American con I mean the, the American continent is is North and South America but so you'd be from North America are there any coral reefs around the coasts yeah so um specifically coral the Corals that we're talking about here, these hard reef corals that mm. um, are these builders of this habitat that I think people immediately think of when they think of corals. Yeah, um, we Those are typically more tropical, and mm-hmm. so we have them off of the coast of uh, places like Florida, um, in the Gulf of Mexico, okay. off uh, the coast of California, and, or actually I'm not sure about California, but off um, Hawaii, mm-hmm. um, and as well as a lot of uh, U.S.-associated territories like mm. Guam. Right. Yeah. Okay. And so did you get to do a lot of scuba diving when you were uh, in uni? Actually, no. So what? Um, I've, I've loved the ocean since I was nine years old, but mm-hmm. I didn't learn how to scuba dive until I was like 20. Okay. Um, that would have so, been after university then. Eh? No, it was my okay. it was my final years of university. Oh, I see. Okay. Um, and so I learned to scuba dive just for that, that trip out to Hawaii. And uh like got certified within a few weeks and then headed out to Hawaii to do some coral surveys and uh, learn about coral reefs. And what was that like? Tell me about a day in a scuba diving scientist's life. Uh, So the scuba diving actually didn't happen as part of the research. (laughs) Wait, you got certified, you got to Hawaii, you couldn't even scuba dive there? We did it for fun. But um, because the corals that we were looking at were so close to shore, we ended up just doing some snorkeling, which is, you know, anybody can do. Um, And what a a coral survey actually looks like is um, we go out to a site where there's coral reefs Mm -hmm. and we lay down something called a transect line, which is just like a very long piece of measuring tape. Mm -hmm. And uh, the way that we did these surveys is uh, they call it like a transect quadrat combined Mm -hmm. methodology where every, I think it was every five meters, you put down a... um, a little like one meter by one meter square Mm -hmm. and you look at all of the different corals that are in that square and you identify what is the what is the type of coral Mm -hmm. um and then what is the like the the level of health of that coral within that square and how do you quantify level of health for coral so there's two different ways that people typically well three different ways that people typically do it Mm -hmm. um one would be something called incidence so does it exist does it not in terms of looking at disease or bleaching Mm -hmm. um then there's the idea of prevalence which um you see most often with disease Mm -hmm. which is a level of uh like a community level assessment of a reef so how much of this reef has disease on it so that would be a percentage like uh one percent being very very little coral is diseased 90 percent being the vast majority of the coral is diseased Mm -hmm. 
And then the third metric is severity. Um, This is typically looked at in terms of bleaching, but we're also starting to try to look at it through disease as well. Mm. Um, And it's more within an individual looking at the amount of an individual coral that has this symptom on it, whether it's bleaching or a disease symptom. Okay, so I'm quite familiar with bleached coral, right? I think quite a few people uh, of our audience members are. We actually had quite a few scientists who do, you know, work in coral bleaching. We've had Rosie Steinberg, we've had uh, Tracy Rogers on, and those were fantastic episodes. Generally, if if you guys want to learn all about coral, definitely check out this episode. I hope you're already listening. But check out those other um, uh, other episodes as well. But so I've never really heard of coral disease. What does that even look like? Yeah, so coral disease is a Basically, we don't really, we're not entirely sure what it is mm. at the moment. Our understanding of coral health right now is sort of more similar to a human's understanding of human health from like 500 years ago. So we're Whoa. just looking at the symptom and saying, this is the disease. Mm-hmm. But that symptom could be, you know, um, it could be unrelated to the disease itself. Right. We just know that this symptom appears and then the the coral is dies. So, so what kind of symptoms do you look for? Is it like color changes, spots? Do they get like a chicken pox like thing? <laughs> so exactly that. There are several different visual symptoms that um, we can notice, which um, is typically tissue discoloration mm-hmm. or the loss of tissue. Mm-hmm. Um, and these can happen in many different ways. So tissue discoloration can be a variety of different colors. Mm-hmm. Um, there's And the names of the diseases are named after the type of symptom that we're seeing. So okay. there's a black band disease, which you can see identify by a black band that will move across the, the coral surface. Oh. And on one side, it'll leave the dead coral. Mm-hmm. And then um, on the other side, it slowly moves into the healthy side of the coral think mm-hmm. of like an infantry sort of moving across a, a, a battlefield right um, there's also uh white diseases which look really quite similar to bleaching so mm-hmm. it, it can be hard to tell in the field um which one it is mm-hmm. but uh scientists have gotten much better at this point after mm-hmm. doing much more research at telling the difference so um, it, it does look quite similar, but it's more um, the presence or absence of the tissue still being on the skeleton of the coral. Mm-hmm. So um, bleaching would leave the tissue on, whereas white diseases typically uh, the tissue ends up dying and falling off. Oh, that sounds terrible. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Have you um, have you been able to kind of visualize this yourself when you went snorkeling? Were you able to see these kinds of diseases? Yeah. So the ones that we were seeing most commonly when I was in Hawaii is something called uh, growth anomalies, mm. which uh, <laughs> sort of like uh, I'm picturing like the governor's voice of like, it's not a tumor. You know, like it, it's, it's a it growth looks anomaly. Like <laughs> it looks like that. It's like a little um, like a bump on the skin that is or this tissue that's sort of uh, very clearly different from the other tissues. It's mm-hmm. it's slightly uh, brighter in color and it stands out sort of abnormally from the typical uh, growth of the way that the coral would grow. Right. Oh my gosh, that, uh, that like that just sounds so devastating. Um, and is coral disease kind of prevalent all over the world, or are certain sections more prone to it? So uh, my most recent work was looking 
at a global analysis of coral disease. Mm-hmm. So I've taken surveys from as far back as 1970 and looked Wait, at... people have been documenting coral disease since 1970. So documenting is kind of a, a very professional word for it. Mm. At the time, back in the 70s, this was like the first time seeing these diseases and they would just kind of note it in their journal of like, that coral looked weird. That's not right. And oh. um, and so now looking back, we can say, oh, that was, you know, the first incidence of white syndromes mm-hmm. on a coral. Um, Would they draw the pictures? Because I can't imagine they were taking scuba diving pictures of these diseases. Some of them had pictures. Yeah. No way. Yeah. Uh, oh, wow. I mean, I don't I don't know. I just find them when they're online, yeah, like yeah, with yeah. the printed um the printed article of it, mm-hmm. but uh, I would assume that those photos that were taken were also from the same reef. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> That's incredible. So um, you're doing your PhD now, right, at UNSW Sydney campus. Um, do you go out and look for these coral diseases around Australia? What's your day-to-day like? I actually spend most of my day at a desk. No! So <laughs> I, I currently don't do any field work for my job because uh, it's Uh, I use something called meta-analysis, which is collecting um, the surveys that have already been done and the research that's already been published, Mm -hmm. and then using that to build a model to understand what the future projections of coral disease would look like. Mm -hmm. Um, So taking these surveys from the past few years, and I can put them alongside temperature records of the ocean Mm -hmm. and see, is ocean warming linked to higher rates of coral disease, where in the ocean, like which ocean is uh, experiencing this most strongly, Mm -hmm. uh, those types of factors. And um, spoiler alert, it's it's not great. It's gotten worse. Okay, so so can we answer those two questions? Are you able to answer? I know you might not able, you might not be able to answer them definitively. But um, is it getting worse? And is it getting worse in certain areas? Yeah, so coral disease, uh, if, even if we have a a most conservative worst case scenario, so mm. assuming that our rate of warming the oceans doesn't get worse or better, mm-hmm. so assuming that it stays at the constant rate of increase that it is right now, um, we are expecting to see really drastic rises in coral disease. Mm-hmm. Um, so, And is death then inevitable after the disease? I've not seen any reports of a coral recovering from a coral disease. No. Um, and I so, guess there's no, like, vaccines, right, for coral. <laughs> no, we can't. We don't have that yet. There is some research that people have been trying to put, um, like, antibiotics on coral oh, to see yeah. if, it, if it does anything. Because, and? Um, it's, it's still in the works, I would oh, say. Like, yeah. it's very, very new. Yeah. Um, but it could be quite promising if it, if it responds well. Mm-hmm. So... Um, fingers crossed for that. They're doing that over in um, in Florida, in the Caribbean reefs. Oh, incredible. Because uh, that's the area that's dealing most heavily with uh, a lot of diseases, or at least the area that we have the most amount of records of disease. And would that also be the area that's more, has the most amount of diseases? Or like in terms of percentage, their coral is more diseased? Yeah, so not necessarily. Okay. Um, Maybe this is because it is the most studied and the others are more Mm. understudied. But um, looking at, uh, we had two different factors that we were looking at. We were looking at temperature and then independently of temperature, what what is it doing? Like if if the rates of warming stay the same Mm -hmm. over time, what's going on? Right. So in terms of warming, 
we do see that the the Indian Ocean is experiencing a little bit stronger of a effect. Mm. Um, but in terms of the year, we're seeing it more in the Pacific Ocean. So oh. the Great Barrier Reef would be the the ones that are more at risk. Oh no, that's that does not bode well for us, especially living in Australia, right? Yeah. And Great Barrier Reef being one of the national treasures of the planet, for goodness sakes, yes, right? Yeah. Uh, and to hear that it is, it can be super prone to these diseases. That's that's really terrifying. That's yeah. and that's really sad. Yeah. So it it does, you know, it is sort of a wake up call. I think mm-hmm. in terms of you know we don't we don't currently know very much about this, and mm-hmm. I think not really v- very many people are are looking at it. Mm-hmm. And um, and I mean in terms of like public perception, yeah. Um, there's not very many news articles that are being written about coral disease because it's not so um i I actually had someone ask me can you send me a picture of like a diseased reef Mm -hmm. and i had to say i don't have any because the the disease that occurs it's like on individual corals you're not going to get those really striking pictures that you see with disease uh, with bleaching where Mm -hmm. you know people would take a picture of the same reef a year apart and it's suddenly all white Mm -hmm. you know we don't we don't really have that in terms of uh, coral diseases Mm -hmm. Um, but looking at uh, one particular coral as the disease like black band disease as it moves across the coral Mm -hmm. um, those pictures are much more available than others so as an evolutionary biologist, I would like to ask you a more evolutionary-based question. Sure. First, are there any coral that are less susceptible to disease? And my second question going off of that, would can we use their basically genetic information to somehow help the other corals that are more susceptible to disease? Right. So to answer your first question, mm-hmm. are some corals less susceptible to disease um it depends on the disease Mm. because certain diseases affect certain species of coral but not others okay um and we're not sure if that's you know just a coincidence that we're only seeing it at that time Mm -hmm. you know because for example i I keep talking about black band disease but black band disease it's a it's most commonly seen. I mean, I do prefer the anomaly growth disease, uh, just in its name. Yeah. <laughs> but black um, band disease is cool too, whatever. It is pretty cool, I will say. So black band disease currently happens, uh, The most of our reports come from uh, reefs that are closer to shore. Mm. And those reefs often have worse water quality. Mm. And so we're not sure if it's a disease that occurs because of the lower water quality, um, or is it a disease that is always there and it's just you know this coral is more susceptible to it when it is stressed from poor water quality Mm -hmm. and also as a result certain corals are uh, are better at being resilient to poor water quality Mm -hmm. so the types of corals that we're seeing black band disease on Mm -hmm. are the ones that are more resilient to poor water quality so everything is is so connected we're not we're not entirely able to piece apart which coral is the most resistant or which coral is the one that is doing the best. Mm -hmm. Um, So then for my second question, can we use the resistance of corals for some diseases to help the resistance of the corals that are very susceptible to it? Again, but that would we would need to know whether that was the, a genetic quality of the coral mm-hmm. or if it's an environmental quality. That's the difference. Oh. So, for example, in the Red Sea, there are corals that are faster growing and mm-hmm. are more resilient to 
ocean warming. Mm -hmm. But does that mean that they're more resilient to disease as Mm -hmm. well? We're not Mm -hmm. sure. Right. And so we did mention, you know, climate change and warming temperatures were, and correct me if I'm wrong, were some of the biggest causes for the disease, right? Mm -hmm. Are there any other factors that can increase coral disease? Yeah. So um, there's been a few different factors linked to uh, ocean or to coral diseases. The first being... um, like plastic pollution being a really big one. So uh, there's been studies done in, uh, I think, around Indonesian uh, coral reefs where plastic pollution was linked to more incidences of disease. Um, Another one is uh, human activity being a factor as well. So there are records of reefs that are close to diving platforms, so places where tourists can go and you know, interact with corals and be able to dive from the platform into the corals. And the uh, those reefs are much more susceptible to disease or have higher incidences of disease than other reefs in that same area. So um, there are a few different factors. And, you know, there's many uh, additional factors that we don't have such clear ties with. So, for example, things like overfishing causing... Um, physical damage to reefs as well can be quite uh, impactful. Uh, There's so many different, so many different things that can affect reefs. And also, if you've heard a little bit of shuffling in the background, we've, we've just had a bit of a swap. So uh, welcome Liz now onto the mic. Hello. Um, And so I guess you said human activity can cause a lot of disease and I heard that certain uh, sunscreen is causing disease. Is it like, do you see a connection or like how how does it work? So that would be more linked in terms of uh, the way that I would see it uh, most often in the literature is uh, looking at it as chemical pollution. So um, pollution being, uh, there are three different types of pollution in my eyes. There's the sedimentation pollution. So things like um, ocean dredging or urban development along the coast would release lots of sediment, silt and sand Um, that can cover coral and cause it to become more stressed and susceptible to disease. There's also the uh, plastic pollution, which we've already mentioned, and this would then be classified as chemical pollution. And chemical pollution can affect corals in a few different ways. I'm not entirely certain as to the exact pathways in which it would do that, but um, overall, just any stress upon a coral can, can make it more susceptible to disease because corals are, they're very, very sensitive organisms you know they're they're the snowflake of the ocean you know they 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 are um you know they have a very particular temperature in which they like to live they have very specific conditions in which they like to live and when that is sort of disrupted it it can cause really devastating impacts on on the coral itself and then echoes out through the entire ecosystem and when you're saying disease i guess it's not bacteria, right? It's not contagious in the way like, I don't know, COVID isn't contagious. So like if one coral is sick, it it's not necessarily that all the corals in the reef would get sick, but how susceptible it is to the environment, right? I mean, so we don't, we don't really know. Um, there are certain bacteria that have been found most commonly with certain diseases. Um, and so there is some belief that these bacteria are potential 
um, pathogens or, you know, the vectors of disease, how it transfers from one area to another. Um, and we do see that there are certain correlations between different uh, types of uh, different types of factors. So there's one disease in Florida, which uh, is correlated with uh, ballast water being moved from one location to another. And so they believe that that could be how that's getting transferred. Um, so we can't say for certain that there is a particular disease or there's a, a particular bacteria, but we do see um, that higher densities of coral, so coral that's very tightly packed together on a reef, um, disease does move through it much quicker than, um, or certain diseases, I should say, not all of them, but certain diseases will move through that area much quicker than others. So there could be a factor that is quite like COVID that is transmissible to nearby corals as well. Is there anything uh, that we can do about it as just ordinary citizens? Like, what what would be the top one to three things that you'd recommend that we can start doing now to hopefully mitigate? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, so I think one of the biggest ones would be, you know, uh, advocacy would be a great one to start with because, you know, there's only so much that an individual can do. Um, it really needs to, you know, climate action and um, protection of such a large ecosystem like coral reefs uh, definitely needs to come from uh, from higher powers because they're the ones that are able to you know police and and you know control that um, because this is something that is not it's not isolated to just one area or one group of people it's something that does affect you know everybody um, it affects coastal communities most severely but there are um, the coral reefs host about one third of all fish life. And so if we don't have coral reefs anymore, that's a huge devastating loss to um, people who like to eat seafood. You know, that's a very big loss to our food supply. So it's, it's something that needs to come from a higher power. But from a individual's perspective, I think just having a greater sense of like stewardship for the environment, a greater sense of responsibility for how your actions are influencing the environment. Having that relationship with the ocean is uh, an understanding how you are existing within an entire system. Um, you're not this isolated person. Uh, can be really, I think, life-changing for some people, but just uh, really eye-opening and uh, realizing that you know you your actions do play a direct part in the functioning of an ecosystem. So for example, if you, you know, are discarding your rubbish to put that away in the proper disposal, if you have plastic to recycle it, things like that, to be more conscious of your energy consumption, your, um, your rubbish disposal, things like that can really make a difference in how you have a personal impact on the environment. And for our last question, um, do you have any advice for somebody who is aspiring to be a scientist or for somebody who is starting their PhD? You can leave it as broad or as narrow as you want. Um, for an aspiring scientist, I would say just be curious is a really great one. Um, you know, because I, I think my relationship with my, you know, career has has been very linear, but I think it's not the same for everybody. Um, and to just find the things that you're passionate about and continue to follow them and uh keep asking questions, keep being curious, and find the thing that you are really dedicated to in life. Because that's the thing, when when PhD life is hard, you know, when when everything is 
you're not doing you're not doing field work you're just sitting at a desk all day it it's something that'll keep you going and keep you uh, passionate and excited about what you do so yeah that's really great advice thank you for being on our show thank you so much for having me pleasure thank you so glad to have you <laughs> we also want to remind you about the east side radiothon that is happening this week um, we have very amazing prizes to celebrate the 40th year of uh, the radio um, you can sign up and join by calling 9331-3000 or jump online and uh, sign up to support the radio and you can win some cool prizes Feet on ice right now Don't wanna take a dive and wipe out